On this episode of the Nesson Soccer Podcast, the U.S. women's national team returns with a vengeance. Cristiano Ronaldo makes history, or did he? And perhaps a new American soccer star is born. One, two, Hello and welcome to the Nesson Soccer Podcast. I am Mark, along with Marcus, here for another week. Marcus, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. An eventful week in our nation, um, and not just because of the president, but because the U.S. Women's National Team got back in action, uh, the real big news of the week. But we're going to talk about the Women's National Team and uh, a little controversy controversy with Cristiano Ronaldo, as well as another Zlatan quote of the week and our matches of the weekend. So we are going to start it off with the women's national team taking the field after a long absence, um, mainly due to coronavirus, obviously. But on January 18th, they took on Colombia um, and they're back. The, the best women's team in the world back on the field and they looked like it. Marcus, I found myself watching this game one getting excited because Sam Ewis local girl scored a bunch of goals, but just excited to see uh, the, the women's, the U S women's national team out there looking like they hadn't lost a step. Um, but you know, 27 players called into this camp. It's lasting uh, kind of the whole week. What What's your uh, biggest storylines uh, out of the women's national team camp this week? This is um, sort of the first return. This is the first return of what uh, we can call the real U.S. women's national team. Uh, it's a group that, you know, in contrast to the one that came together in uh, November, December, didn't have uh, back then. Did not have Carly uh, Carly Lloyd. Did not have Megan Rapino. Both had been out th- due to uh, you know for lengthy ab- absences. Um, Alex Morgan is actually out of this group because she tested positive for COVID nineteen. But uh, yeah, twenty seven players have been called into camp. The Olympics roster is going to be that's the big you know tournament for the year is the Olympics, uh, as we discussed in our year opening podcast. But uh, they're going to have to whittle those 27 down to 18. So it'll be really interesting to see who uh, who emerges, who possibly falls uh, falls out of the pack. But there's a new captain, uh, Becky Sauerbrunn. She's 35 years old, center back. She's going to be the uh, U.S. Women's National Team captain. Previously, it had been sort of rotated among a group of veterans uh, with in, which include Rapino and Lloyd. Now, is that something we should read into their uh, into their Olympic prospects or standings under uh, w- with a new team? We're not quite sure, but it's something to watch. Uh, which is actually why I wanted to talk about the U.S. women today because it's going to be a little bit of intrigue. Uh, this year has they have the opportunity to go do the back to back, which. Due to coronavirus, there was no 2020 Olympics, but no team has won the Women's World Cup, followed by the Olympics, um, you know, done the double gold. So 
that's what uh, the U.S. is really going for. But they're in sort of a transitional uh, generational period mm. where older players might be fading out of the picture and newer ones emerging, uh, particularly Katarina Macario, who is uh, a phenom. She went to Stanford, declined to uh, enter the NWSL draft. Instead, she signed with Lyon, which is the powerhouse in women's club soccer worldwide. Uh, she's supposed to be really good. I haven't been able to uh, see her in action yet, but very interested in that. And also, as you uh, alluded to earlier, we have local players, most notably goalkeeper Alyssa Nair, who's from Connecticut, and uh, Massachusetts' own Sam Mewis, who scored a hat-trick in the uh, 4-0 win over Columbia. But you know who scored the fourth goal? <laughs> was her Even older better. sister, Christy Mewis. So there are Mewis sisters uh, repping Massachusetts on the women's national team. Really going to be an interesting year to follow uh, what goes on with Team USA. Yeah, Marcus, you kind of briefly mentioned the aging stars. And these aren't just like any aging stars. And Megan Rapinoe is the most famous women's national team player since, I guess, Mia Hamm. Uh, I think she probably is... um, I mean, she has been the face of the team uh, for four or five years now. She's 35. Carly Lloyd, who has been, um, you know, a bona fide juggernaut goal scoring star, is 38. Uh, even Alex Morgan is 31. Um, and at the same time, yeah, you mentioned people like Sam Mewis, Katarina Macario, but even like Rose Lavelle who is young and upcoming still. Julie Ertz is kind of in that mid range along with Sam Mewis. But I kind of, I, it's, it's, uh, it's speaks to just how well run and, and how deep of a talent pool the women's national team has that I kind of mentioned these aging stars that are gigantic names, but you know, right behind them is a solid group of these sort of veteran late twenties age players and then behind them is still these up and coming stars. And it seems like there isn't really going to be much of a rebuilding period. It's just kind of, we're already reloaded, ready to go. And I would expect that you'll see a mix of age at the Olympic roster on the Olympic roster later in the year, but uh, it, it's just exciting. Um, yeah. It'll be yeah. interesting to see where these players who are really, and they're in their peak years now and, uh, you know, we're talking about those that are in the 26 to 31, 32 range. Uh, you know, it's going to go down to uh, the new coach. Well, new, he's not new anymore, but new since the Women's World Cup, Vlatko Andonovsky. Uh, you know, a lot of the job historically of uh, managing the women's national team is managing those personalities and group dynamics. Uh, when things are good, the team wins. When the team is not winning. There are usually usually some tension behind the scenes that, uh, you know, oftentimes, certainly in the past, uh, they they will come out and they'll end up being big stories. So, uh, you know, I'll have my eye on the coach just seeing how how he really manages those personalities because these are, you know, I kid you not, big, big personalities that, uh, you know, they can, you can sink or swim with these teams based on 
how the players really feel about the coach. Yeah. And so we mentioned that they have their camp going on right now where they're actually playing friendlies versus Columbia two friendlies versus Columbia. Uh, but coming up in February is also the, she believes cup. And that's kind of the last thing that is officially scheduled. Um, it, except for, of course, we know the Olympics will happen, but we don't know exactly who will be playing the dates of those games yet. And we're sure there will be more, certainly will be more friendlies in between February and uh, July when the Olympics will begin. Um, but just to kind of run through who the women's national team will face um, in the She Believes Cup, they will take on Canada, Brazil, and Japan in the group stage. All the games will be played in Orlando, Florida. I'm not entirely sure, but will the entire tournament take place in Orlando, Florida? Uh, she believes cup. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I believe so. So uh, kind of uh, a bit of a tournament bubble going on there. Uh, and plenty to just kind of keep your eye on. If you want to, if you want that local perspective uh, perspective, You've got the Mewis sisters and you've got to listen there. If you want young talent coming up, you got that. And if you want, yeah, that sort of uh, what's the final chapter in the uh, Megan Rapino and Carly Lloyd stories, you know, that is certainly going to capture tons of attention uh, throughout the year. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, I don't know, Marcus, what else do you want to talk about with the women's national team? I, I, I feel like it's, I don't, it's, it's tough to find anything negative really to say about them um, just because they keep winning and until they stop, what are you supposed to say? Uh, that they're still on top until somebody comes along and knocks them off. Right. Um, speaking of guys on top or people on top, sorry. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo scored another goal this past weekend. Um, and according to some, he became the all-time top goal scorer with both club and country goals in the history of top-level soccer. Of course, it is tough to really gauge who has the most goals given all the different competitions, all the different levels of soccer, all the different countries that play. Uh, but not many people are challenging Ronaldo having the most goals except for the Czech Republic. Uh, Marcus, I think you know a little bit more about the story, so I think I'll let you kind of hash it out for us. Yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo scored on uh, it was Wednesday in the okay. uh, I think it was the Italian uh, Coppa Italia Super uh, Super Cup. Oh, the Super Cup against uh, yeah. Napoli. That was his 760th career goal for club and country. Uh, Opta, which is a leading. Uh, analytics company says it is the most goals combined in men's soccer history. Now, uh, as Ronaldo was being feted worldwide, as the global media was feting Ronaldo, the Czech Republic Football Federation stepped up and then said, wait, one of their heroes, Joseph Bikan, <laughs> was uh, actually had scored 821 goals, which leaves Cristiano Ronaldo 62 goals shy of the record. Uh, the Czech Republic said, quote, goals from matches in the first and second leagues, national cups, the Central European Cup, and national team selections are included. 
On the contrary, friendly matches are not included in the statistics with the exception of the national team. So this is similar to what we saw with uh, when Lionel Messi a few weeks ago broke supposedly Pele's record for most goals scored for a single club. Uh, and then Santos came out and said, well, wait, there were all these other games that Pele played in, which clouds that record uh, even more. But uh, the Czech Football Federation seemed pretty adamant that these were league and cup games and uh, official European games and national team games, uh, not including friendly games. So the worldwide media has Ronaldo with the crown. The Czech Republic says Joseph Bikan. Who played, uh, well, when did you say he was born? It was... Uh, it was 1913. And 1913. Yeah. Well, yeah, play, played until 1955 when he was 42 years old. Uh, they say his record still stands. And that was, <laughs> quick math, what, 66 years ago? Something which, like that. Yeah, which, which brings us to the key question. How do we measure what a legend is doing in one era against what a legend did in another? Uh, how do we decide who is the GOAT when it comes to goal scoring and uh, even overall play when now so much time has passed between one era? I'm sure the number of people who saw Beacon play are, um, or at least saw him play in his pomp there, uh, unless we go to the Czech Republic and speak to some seniors there, uh, they're, they're dwindling for lack of a better word. So how do we, how do we even decide that? I, you know, that, that is the kind of age old question. Um, you could say for many reasons that it's a much more difficult game to reach the highest level at now. So what Ronaldo is doing is, much more impressive but at the same time i mean it's not exactly like beacon was you know i mean look at his life look at where he lived i mean in the and he played in, through the 1930s and 40s what was going on in europe in that time i'm sure it wasn't exactly easy to just focus in on soccer and and play and have a 20-year career in professional soccer so there's different challenges. There's different reasons why what Beacon might be more did might be more impressive, but there's plenty of reasons why what Ronaldo is currently doing is much more impressive. So the it, counterpoint it, to your yeah. argument is that back then balls were heavier. Uh, depend, mm. Defending was a little more, uh, let's call it robust. Uh, and the fields that they played on were, muddier choppier so um you know they say the game was easier those that played then uh often you know certainly in uh in other sports but i'm sure in soccer uh they might disagree so it's tough to say what Beacon would have done had he been playing in the last uh 15 to 20 years as ronaldo has versus when he played in his era so uh interesting Question, I think uh, there's not much, certainly a day after Ronaldo has uh, seemingly broken the record. The only uh, contesting and challenge to that record is coming out of uh, the Czech Republic. And we'll just see where, who, uh, 
you know, what kind of support that drums up? Well, the other question I have with this is we mentioned before, Ronaldo is now 62 goals shy of, um, you know, breaking down this Czech Republic challenge uh, to his, to his record. I think not that it's easy, but as we mentioned, Josef Bacan played until he was 42. I'm sure Ronaldo has goals of playing well into his forties. I think that this whole challenge will be um, null and void in not too long from now as uh, Ronaldo is sure to have more than 62 goals left in the tank in his career. Yeah, Ronaldo, uh, not too long ago, he talked about uh, about that he's still feeling good. He's still, he, he, I don't have the quote in front of me, but what he said was basically he seems like, he feels like he can play for a long time. He's in a good frame of mind, feeling good physically. Uh, Ronaldo will probably, I would expect he will retire from uh, international soccer after world cup 2022 Mm. which uh by which point he should be 36 37 um even if he scores 20 goals per season uh i can see him getting to 62 for club and country uh you know knowing ronaldo how driven he is to be recognized as the greatest of all time i don't see he also takes all the pks that's also true (laughs) <laughs> uh, but I don't see him stopping before he reaches that 62 goal mark. Yeah, it's it's certainly on his mind, I would have to imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting conversation that kind of just will never have a proper answer is how do you compare um, legends from one era to another? And really the only thing you can even come close with is these various records, just how many goals did you score? How many championships or trophies did you win um and and that sort of thing but you know marcus speaking of legends of the game you know what time it is uh it's almost 1 30 in the afternoon almost it's it's time for our zlatan (laughs) quote of the week and uh this one is just very typical zlatan uh, AC Milan is still on top of Syria. They are in first place on 43 points. Inter Milan is in second with 40. So we're about halfway through the season here, one match away from being halfway through the Syria campaign. And uh, there's a lot of talk of the Scudetto. And Zlatan was asked straight up if he believes that Milan can hang on and win the Scudetto, knocking off Juventus, being the first team to win the Scudetto besides Juventus since 2011, when it was also Milan to win it back then. And Zlatan's answer was, I believe in me. I believe in Zlatan. And so no, not really any mention of Milan, but he believes in himself. <laughs> So I guess that means he thinks they're going to win. I I wasn't quite sure. I thought maybe you could provide your thoughts on what you think he means by that. Uh, I think he means he's putting the team on his back or sorry, he will continue to carry that team on his back. And as long as he believes in himself and Milan believes in him, AC Milan will end up winning the Scudetto. Um, and did you know, and this is kind of really up-to-date news, and we didn't even talk about this, but 
Mario Mandzukic is signing with AC Milan. I did know that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a move. I mean, he's an older player. Certainly a move that will help them for the next few months as they go for the Scudetto. So, they are, you know, making things very clear, in my opinion, that, you know, they're going for it. And uh, they expect to be on top at the end of the year. And I believe in Zlatan, too. So, I expect them. I At this point, I am confident in Milan to hang on. And maybe more so, not that we're going to get into a whole Serie A thing here, but I'm confident at this point that Juventus will not win, that it will be somebody else um, as they really haven't closed the gap too much on first place. They're 10 points back right now. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year Juventus's grip on Serie A ends. About time. <laughs> But uh, all right, Marcus. Time. Do you know yeah. what time it is? <laughs> time for matches of the weekend. Games of the weekend, and I will start us off again on brand in the Bundesliga. I'll be watching Schalke 04 against Bayern Munich. That is Sunday, 9:30 a.m. on ESPN Plus. Uh, last last meets first in the Bundesliga. Schalke dead last. Bayern Munich first. They've won the last umpteen titles in a row. Do you have any idea why I might be watching this game? I thought it was an interesting one for you to pick. Uh, And I figured it was just because the weekend itself doesn't have too many big-time slates. But uh, why? Because. I'll tell you why. This is a stat where I pulled from True Media Sports' Paul Carr. Most goals in Europe's top five leagues in 2021. Four. Lionel Messi and four others. They're in third place. Five. Robert Lewandowski, Bayern Munich. Do you know who he's tied with? Um, no. <laughs> I'll tell you. This is a big buildup. There's a player by the name of Matthew Hoppy. Oh, of course. Who plays That's for Schalke. He's a striker. He's from Southern California. And he has five goals since he has five goals in 2021, including the hat trick he scored, became the youngest. American or maybe the first American to score a hat trick in the Bundesliga. Uh, he scored a couple other goals. This kid is, he, I, I, I've only seen the highlights of mm-hmm. him, uh, of that hat trick, but what I saw was a natural finisher full of confidence, uh, had some intelligent movement. He's only 19 years old, came out of the uh, Barca residency, residency Academy in Arizona. Uh, before that was with Strikers FC in Southern California, was actually cut by the LA Galaxy Academy and wow. uh, ended up uh, somehow in the Barcelona Academy over in the United States. And yeah, he scored. Uh, he was the first American to score Bundesliga, youngest American to score Bundesliga hat trick. He's already got four Bundesliga, uh, sorry, he's already passed Joshua Sargent for most Bundesliga goals by an American teenager Um, just by the clips 
that I saw. I, I'm looking at, I thought I was looking at the real deal uh, as a striker, somebody who can finish. So going up against Bayern Munich, that's uh, about as tough as you're going to get in the Bundesliga. And I want to see what he's capable of doing. Yeah, absolutely. Matthew Hoppy is very exciting and kind of, you know, wondering if he is going to be somebody that competes to be that uh, striker that will complement Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna on the U.S. men's national team. But my match of the weekend, Marcus, is Manchester United versus Liverpool. This is deja vu. This is the game I picked last weekend. But this time they face off in the FA Cup on Sunday at noon, ESPN+. Plus. Um, the reason I picked this game is because of how bad or, you know, just anticlimactic last week's Liverpool-Man United matchup was. That game ended 0-0 in a, in a draw. Uh, Man United still is first in the Premier League. Liverpool is still in fourth. But, um, you know, obviously this doesn't affect the Premier League, but what does happen is there has to be a winner of this game. So that's why I'm excited to watch it uh, one way or the other. There's going to be something dramatic that takes place. So Yeah, the uh, Man United-Liverpool rivalry, the Premier League game that they played on Sunday was an absolute dud. The, uh, that being said, I think the rivalry is back on. Um, it's, been, it's been a while since they were both in or around the top of the Premier League standings, uh, Manchester United was, uh, they moved into first place briefly uh, earlier this week, uh, sorry, last week. First time they've been top of the league in January since 2013 when Sir Alex Ferguson retired. So yeah, the uh, it looks like the rivalry with Liverpool, their games are now, uh, they're taking on greater consequence and this FA Cup installment will only uh, stoke the rivalry even further. Absolutely. So, well, Marcus, that was a, a Fast and Furious podcast. Um, and we will return with another podcast in, in next week and, and beyond. But uh, I want to thank you for joining me today. And I want to thank all the listeners for joining us uh, this week and every week. And to continue joining us, just follow us at nesson.com slash podcast, where you can find all the Nesson Soccer Podcast episodes. You can also find us on iTunes and Spotify by searching Nesson Soccer Podcast in those apps, platforms, websites, whatever you want to call them. Um, and you can like and subscribe and download and comment um, and let us know how we're doing. Um, Marcus, any lasting thoughts before we head out no nothing here all right thanks everyone for joining us i tell you soon